How sick is that bass? You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. Well, welcome everybody to episode 39 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross along with Richard S. Greenfield and Walter Pysik. And, um, Revolution will not be televised on Parlor, Brandon. <laughs> that that's true. It's <laughs> over overall, guys. It it has been a crazy week since the last time we spoke, and and we're going to talk a lot about what happened with Parlor and the power of big tech, which is probably the biggest issue in media now. But before we even started on that, I just I I feel like I need to talk about the markets a little bit. And there's a reason 1999 is my background today. And basically what I want to say is valuations at this point in a lot of the market have become so completely divorced from reality. We saw this in Fubo and that's kind of an ongoing battle that we're fighting, but something happened this week, which really struck me, which was, um, which was what happened with GameStop, which I think doubled in two days because of the power of a Reddit, which actively tried to cause um, a short squeeze. And it worked. The Wall Street Bets subreddit, who pride themselves on not doing any fundamental analysis whatsoever. And I guess I forgot GameStop actually still exists. I, I, I know. Um, and But they just take big bets and decided that GameStop was a target over kind of the last few weeks and and together caused a massive short squeeze. It's it's a pretty weird situation. It's tough for us as analysts to you know, get a handle on the market when it's it's not moving by traditional metrics and retail has become quite powerful. It's sort of scary. I mean, in terms of just how fast some things are moving. I mean, look, valuations are big. I and mean, I think we've had trouble overall with just how big valuations have gotten. Um, you know, you look at some of these stocks where they're, you know, up two and three X over the last 12 months and businesses, many of them are good and really good, especially coming off of the pandemic. But some of these swings, especially in smaller cap names, has been just mind-boggling, uh, driven by retail. And some I big just, cap look, names, Rich. Top yeah. names in the S and P five hundred. Tesla's obviously had a humongous run. Apple's had a humongous run. So it's not just small caps, but it's also not everything. Yep. It's just not everything. Yeah, I'm there, just sort of right. there. Are, there are parts of the market though that are just mind blowing at this point. And I say that. I told I told this anecdote a couple of times this week, but I was ranting and raving about it a, a few days ago. And right after that, the next thing I did was check my PA to make sure <laughs> it, it, it was continuing to go up. So I, I think it's very easy to get swept away in it. But the last time this happened, I think to this extent, it really didn't end well. So I think it's going to. I think it's going to be great news for active managers and 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 obviously people that can hedge on both sides to be able to to manage through what additional volatility may occur as this thing kind of maybe runs a course, maybe it doesn't. But active managers, I think, are in a unique position to excel uh, in this market. Hopefully, we we've gotten to a point a few months over the last few months. It feels like where people were scared to short anything, and that sort of tells you it's the time to start shorting things because. <laughs> 
you know. Well, look at look at the heavily shorted names, and I understand oh, they got, that they're, they got they taken were, out in a body a bag this week. Yep, there was a catch up trade, but look at traditional media. I mean, Discovery, AMCX, Viacom. Wait, kind of a- AMC, hold on. A- AMCX has doubled off the bottom. Doubled for a business that is literally in secular decline. It's incredible. Capital is still cheap, man. I mean, interest rates are low, so where else are you going to put your money? And So what else happened this that week, was, Well, that wasn't even but close to the biggest issue this week. And every Friday, we record our podcast kind of usually around 1030 for those who want the inside baseball. And invariably, something big happens every Friday afternoon, just about around the time when we're going to put our podcast out. And this week, it was sort of the cascade of of companies first, you know, starting with Twitter shutting down Trump. And then beyond that, um, Parler being shut down kind of across the board from from big tech companies, whether it was Amazon, Google, uh, Apple, Apple, Stripe, Stripe. Shopify, everywhere you kind of all all the all the leading companies um, controlling pieces of the infrastructure of the Internet, e-commerce, social um, took kind of took a stand all at once. Uh, against Parler and against Trump. Well, I think that's what's so interesting about the first tweet we have up here from from Jack Dorsey of Twitter is he was basically in his tweet stream, our tweet storm was talking about how the fact that, yes, Twitter, um, you know, shut down Trump's account, but that there were alternatives. But then he goes, the con- that this concept was challenged last week when a number of foundational internet tool providers also decided not to host what they found dangerous. I do not believe this was coordinated, more likely companies came to their own conclusion or were emboldened by the actions of others. I don't understand what he says. I do not believe he's one of the people that that would be allegedly a part of the coordination. So why wouldn't he just say this was not coordinated? No, I was not sending emails or text messages to my fellow tech CEOs um, that this was not a coordinated effort. Because that's obviously the concern, right? I mean, people that are going to say like, oh, Twitter has too much power. Dude, that's ridiculous. It's not a free speech. Twitter's not a monopoly. There are other platforms. However, when you have Amazon shutting down your cloud or Apple taking the app off the store, it's going to create concerns among the politicians who see the this as an alternative power to them to say like, okay, that seems coordinated. So what do they do? What do they do in that situation? I think whether or not it was coordinated though, Walt almost does it. I don't, first of all, I don't think it was coordinated. I think it was kind of a sea of momentum that happened probably employee led and management of these companies had to give in to employee will because nothing's more important than, then I'm not sure it's give, hold on, hold on. I'm Valley. not sure. Hold on. I don't think it's giving in to employees. I think it's more of recognition. Or, that like, yes. And employees is, that, that uh, yeah, I, I think I kind of framed it wrong that I used I used the wrong word. But the overall the biggest issue here is that each of these pieces, the, this key plumbing of the Internet does have that much power on its own. Sure. Stripe can shut down payments. Shopify can make it almost impossible for you to sell items away from big platforms. So on and so forth. My favorite phrase. Well, yeah, but Twitter. So Twitter. Hold on. Twitter can shut down and then people can go to parlor. So on its own. No, Twitter does not have the same power. It's only because 
Apple then shut Parler down. And again, that didn't completely shut it down because existing users stayed on there. So they don't have right. the so they were, power. Yeah, so was, then it was Amazon that made the, the ultimate power. So no, I don't agree that it was individual companies that have equal amounts of power. It was the coordinated impact of Twitter and then Apple and then Amazon to ultimately you know create the situation that we're in. Well, you it, say it coordinated. Do you think it was coordinated? Um, I'm sorry if I said that. That's not what I meant. But that's, that is going to be the perception by those that are getting negatively impacted by this, which is, you know, a very vocal 30% of our population in the United States and the, re- and the, and the politicians that represent them. The question is, what do you do about it? Like, I don't believe that our government, you know, I was debating this on CNBC on Monday night where everyone's like, oh, this sounds horrible. These companies need to be regulated. I, I don't even know what that means. Like, I still can't figure out if you were going to regulate this, like, what the FCC is going to say, what apps can be in app stores or what apps can, what they, what you can say on these apps or what the, the, like, what's the governing body for AWS? Like who determines what content has to be hosted in the cloud? Like, I don't even know what organization there's in the government. Alternative, and there's alternative. So again, individually, I don't know what you do because there are alternative cloud services that Parler can go to. Um, now, all of those cloud services can individually say, like, we actually don't want that content um, being served on our cloud. You don't have to actually, you can't force someone to serve somebody. Um, but there, are all alter- there are alternatives within each of the individual silos. I mean, you can, you can force these companies to treat a bit like a bit and a bite like a bite and not distinguish between them. But that so that's what Jack was talking about that here, causes, Brandon, you want to, No, in, in terms you of want to read like this coming tweet? up with a decentralized... Okay, sir, which one? The, the one, second one. Oh, the second one, sorry. Twitter is funding a small independent team of up to five open source architects, engineers, and designers to develop an open and decentralized standard for social media. The goal is for Twitter to ultimately be a client of this standard. And I what think is he that, talking about? I think Explain that, that was I think that was a couple of years ago that that he um, he had started that maybe like 2018 or or 2019, but. I mean, essentially, to to take the power away from individual platforms to control um, what's on them and for the platforms just to be, I don't know, like tastemakers, recommendation engines and such, not to come up with the, the standards for how to treat the data that crosses them. Doesn't that, though, run the risk if, if there's no verification or if there's no like controlling body and it's all decentralized? What's the I stop? Mean, this chaos? Is, this is, well, this like, is, isn't that this how is revolutions this break is, out? This is the problem that we've we've been debating. Uh, like nonstop, it, like it kind of takes away the power of any kind of government or ruling body. But who should well, be the ruling body? <laughs> It like is the big that, question. And, that may and make these sense. are global platforms. Well, also. I just understand, well, like, so if Parler, Brandon, explain to me the technology. Of this, if, if uh, Amazon, you're asking me, me ask you the, the wrong person to okay, explain but, the technology, but, I can assure you. But you that. just talked about not under not knowing the bits. All I know is if I'm Amazon, and Parler is writing me a check so that their app works, whether I can see their bits or not, I know that Parler is paying me, and I'm going to say no. You can no longer pay me for my service. So how does how does that technological solution change that? Yeah, I guess it. I guess it doesn't because then they're unless they are. I mean, I guess they would still have to pay you, right? So 
And then Amazon says, sorry, I'm not taking your payment anymore. You're no longer connected into our network. So I'm, I just don't understand how that would work, but I, you know, maybe some, someone can contact us. And help one us of our followers. Work. It's people who understand technology much better than us which is I, I also would not everyone just, in Silicon Valley. <laughs> correct. And we look forward to that input. But I would also not I would also not expect um, a having listened to many, many hearings for a congressman or a senator to delve into that type of solution. I would guess that the bigger thing they're going to talk about is like these companies being too big and not allowing them to own too many piece, too many pieces of the puzzle. And then the challenge, Rich, is which well, I they're get trying that. to hold on. Hold on. They're trying to break up two of the companies right now. Right. Like they're trying to let alone get break. bigger. Correct. Right. So, but the challenge there is whether you're trying to break up, which is a multi-year process, as Brandon has talked about many times before, or not allowing them to get bigger, you're losing um, as the forest of the trees in terms of we're competing on a global basis, and none of these individual companies are getting a fair shake in China, while the Chinese versions of these companies are fully integrated and allowed to go wherever they want. Right. I mean, ByteDance keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful, and you know, TikTok. I mean, it's funny. I mean, TikTok, I assume is fine, Walt. Like, I mean, I assume everything's okay. And it's that's, gonna... fun. that's one to joke about. But honestly, is is under Biden, are they going to continue or not continue the banning of apps? Because the, the companies that are U.S. tech companies are not getting a fair shake in China. And shouldn't we also not allow those apps um, to, to operate in, in our markets until well, we get a fair I... treatment in their market? Well, hold on. Let's flip it around. U.S. movie companies alter their movies literally alter their movies so that they can yeah, play in China. That's, that's and not most even of the flipping movie, it around. <laughs> and they're ba- most movies are banned right. in China. That's not like, flipping around. That's 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 underscoring the it's, point it's, where, exactly. where U.S. companies are not getting a fair shake in China. But, but that's... A, no, but why do we allow their movies into the U.S.? Like, why do we allow any Chinese content into the U.S.? If we don't allow our content there, well, like, that did that's, change over that's the past another, four years. The that's another is, rabbit hole. Like, the, the whole China versus U.S. thing. But, like, a broader point is there's different standards in different markets and it's very hard to come to one global consensus and set of rules. That's true. But the Chinese wall is pretty um, firewall. They call it the Chinese firewall. Yeah. It's pretty a dramatic. We're not talking about nuance here. That's a pretty right. dramatic it's- block of what's going on. So again, these country, these companies in the U S that want to get bigger in order to compete on a global scale, that has to be a part of the consideration when, when our politicians and the point. DOJ look at how they're going to deal with all this stuff. And look, we do hear that Biden's going to take still take a very firm view. I don't know what the bite dance TikTok view, but we do hear that, you know, there is going to be a continuation, at least to some degree, maybe not to the same level, but you're going to see you know, of, some of, of the Trump same policies. The, yeah. That view wasn't in taken China. in the prior administration, though. And when I say prior, I'm not talking about Trump. You're talking about Obama. Yeah. Correct, I right. mean, look, there for all his flaws and the terrible things that he did, there are going to be some lasting ideas that have, that are coming out of Trump Trumpism, I guess you could call it that are going to influence this administration and administrations that follow. And one of the most important one is, is how we um, deal with China. Yeah. And that, and that was something that no other president really was, was willing to push hard on. And it seems like Biden is going to, kind of pull that torch well let's see let's see it's still early we haven't even inaugurated yet let's uh but you know this whole regulatory um or kind of fear of big tech sort of there was a little dust up Walt, you want to like walk people through what what you started noticing over the weekend just that a lot of twitter people that we follow um 
you know, which were largely conservative. Once again, uh, conservative voices were were tweeting out about how their follower count um, was declining. Some of it was actually funny because it was people that had previously said they were moving to parlor. So I'm not sure why they cared about their Twitter followers. Um, but anyway, so there was this big hubbub. Oh, you know, Jack is after he shut down the president, he's silencing conservative voices. And then Twitter support um, the Twitter account came out and said, to clear up the confusion about fluctuations in follower accounts, in order to prevent spam, we regularly challenge accounts to confirm details like email and phone number. Until that info is confirmed, these accounts aren't included in follower accounts. And, and to be honest, I've actually seen that occur in my own account and some of my own yeah. follower accounts. I don't think that Twitter's is lying in this situation. Um, it just happened to be that they did one of these bot purges at the same time as as whatever. So it was it was interesting, but it, it, it I think it underscores the lack of trust that exists um, in tech I, in in the fact that if you if you just see your Twitter follower accounts that you didn't assume that it was because you were getting followed by by bots. Walt, over the weekend, I actually got an email or a push notification from Twitter asking me to confirm my email address. Right. So you would have shown as not a follower of me for that period. And then when you reactivated, you would have shown back up as, as a follower. That's basically how the tech works on that. But Correct. you can't tell that to someone who we're in a very kind of um, sensitive, sensitive, divisive, whatever you want to call it. If people are looking for any individual um, evidence that they say will trigger them in terms of <clears throat> their voices getting, getting silenced. <clears throat> and they can voice those concerns on television, by the way, which they have been. So let's move over to back, sports. Back We've, to sports. <laughs> sports, well, and sports only one direction, which is sort of negative, which NFL wildcard ratings, not so super, is the sports media uh, watch tweet. All four windows that can be compared to last year decline in the weekend included the lowest rated wildcard game since at least 1998 uh, and the least watched since 2003. But it actually got worse because on Monday night was the college football playoff. And Alabama, Ohio State, and I know these teams are like for they're in it repeatedly, and especially Alabama, like every year. So maybe it's getting yep. to the point of being a bit boring. Those two still, and, and Clemson, right? Yeah. Yep. So so I get it, but we've got a chart here, and the chart goes from 1999, so BCS 1999 through college football playoff 2021. There is never a year where the number has dipped below 21 million viewers, and most of them are up high 20s, mid 20s, even up into the mid 30s. We were at 18.7 million viewers. People are not traveling. They're not they're not going out to dinner in the same way. Like people are home. And yeah. yet this is by far the lowest rated college football playoff final ever. I think the NFL one is the one that really grabbed my attention because Why? the because the NFL, what, what was it down like, you know, seven-ish percent this season overall across all windows? It had really bucked the trend relative to the other sports in 2020. Um, but ratings just got smoked in this first weekend of the playoffs, which added the extra wild card so that it would generate even more buzz, excitement, and interest. And then right on the heels of it, college football is a disaster. And I don't I, look, there's a lot of reasons we've outlined this and talked about it so many times, the different contributing factors to this, but we're staying on theme here. And I know there was political issues this week, but we were past the election. Um, I think it's a stretch to say to that was political. And no, I, exactly. I, I, I don't have an answer other than it's it's really something secular. And the big thing that everyone pointed out over the summer was that things were happening at a time 
that they don't usually. So the normal cadence of sports was off. And guess what? This is the normal time for NFL playoffs and the normal time for the BCS championship. But Brandon, I know we're not worried about NFL deals going down. They're obviously going to go up a lot. But this headline really scared you. Just read it. Report ESPN could cut its MLB rights fees by $150 million a year in a new shorter deal. So I think this was a We don't usually see that headline in the U.S. No, we don't in terms of of rights fees going down. Um, we've said that we're worried about kind of the secondary rights deals. ESPN is taking, it seems, less games, um, I think less dollars per game also. And the bottom line is if ratings are going to continue to decline, which means affiliate fees, retrans is lower and other costs – um, especially the NFL are going to be higher. There has to be a squeeze somewhere. Yeah, but and the problem the sec- is, and the secondary rights are kind of ripe for it. And we'll yeah, see but what if you happens. Think about, but I was going to say, if you think about baseball, the RSNs are in trouble. Now you're hearing reports of national and MLB rights going down. And the Turner uh, deal was, you know, the the prior deal was fine. It was up. Yep. But yeah, this is. It, it it definitely makes you think. And the NHL deal, I think, is the next one. And it's going to go up, but maybe yeah, not the prior up as much deal as you think. is vastly undervalued. But I think they're asking what seven hundred fifty million a year from two hundred million a year on the AAV, and that seems like a far pipe dream uh, at this point. Maybe it's just a vote of non confidence against uh, against the MLBs. Um, commissioner <laughs> in terms of how they handled the pandemic, which was the worst of any of the sports leagues. Yeah. Meaning failure to get back on the field and play and yeah, just take an opportunity MLB, to make some adjustments. I mean, they just, you know, whatever, the MLB whatever. has handled a lot of things very poorly over the years, um, whether it's building stars, use of social media, uh, rules changes, everything is just uh, a continuous shit show there. New leadership would be welcome. Now, on the flip side, a potential good sign for all of sports, like literally for the entire industry. Like if you were to go look for like what's the opportunities in sports, there's a report from Adam White, uh, front office sports. Amazon is reportedly vying for the rights to broadcast Italy's Series A on Prime Video. Deal expected to be worth four plus billion. Comcast Sky Sports is also in the mix. Series A set a January 26th deadline to sell the rights. Now, before we get all excited, what is series? Is, is that Syria. how you pronounce it? Series? No, he, he added a series S. A. Series. I don't, what's going on here? Isn't it Syria? Syria? No. I don't know. I thought it was Syria. You Maybe said not. series A, I think. No, I no, said I series didn't. A. Oh. <laughs> I think it's Syria. I'm so used to that being rich. The rich got a pronunciation right. And I think I did. I think I did. This is a first. This is an inflection point. Uh, Look, I I could be wrong, and I'm sure one of our listeners will certainly correct us on email later today. But look, we've seen Facebook be really aggressive for rights in India for cricket and then pull back. Like we've seen one time. And by the way, we don't even know how serious they were because they ultimately lost. If they wanted to win, they probably would have won. Look, the bottom bottom line is of all the major tech platforms, only Amazon has shown a real willingness to bid on sports rights. It's in some markets, they've been a little more aggressive than others in the United States. If there's going to be a real future for 
uh, sports rights valuations, and they're going to continue to go up or at least not go down. Tech platforms are going to have to get involved. Well, and- we said Amazon's going to buy Thursday night football rights. I mean, that's our call for the top 20 for 21 for Thursday night that Fox drops it and, and Amazon takes it. Now, I think some people think it's crazy, but the reality is the NFL needs new bidders. I mean, all of these sports leagues, I mean, go back to your MLB point before, if they don't get new bidders, like if you don't have more bidders yeah. and packages, and the core business of the current bidders is weakening, you've got a real problem. So if Bezos is willing to take the risk, that's fine. Like you have to invest for the future. So you, I think you want you almost want to and try and get them on, even if it's not the best uh, bid, because if Amazon is successful with it, it will bring more tech platforms wanting yes. to bid on it. They don't all have to come in the first time that these things right. come up for for rights. Agreed. You're more likely to get Apple in the future or Google in the future if you get Amazon today. Even it's just if amazing. the number isn't Bezos has made some incredible decisions throughout his career that you would wait to see how it goes for them. Like, you know, right. their hit ratio is pretty high as opposed to Google, where you can look at all these like, you know, whatever they call them, the loons and the their moonshots. Well, moonshots. I mean, Google and, and Fiber, we should remind like, well, and we should rem- we hold on, we should Amazon remind Amazon has our- also, you know, invested in things that didn't quite work out that's um, my point and, and no, no, that's my point is yeah. that if it was google doing this maybe you see it you know you'd see if it wins or loses with amazon like you know bezos has got a pretty good hit ratio on on some of his investments but i but i also think it's worth reminding our our listeners and watchers that when like when when you think about like would the league take less money from amazon than they would from somebody else something to think about is the last sunday ticket deal DirecTV actually underbid Google and the NFL had a reason for not, you know, not believing in Google at that point as a as a good enough partner. And so they sold it for less money because they wanted to they wanted this partner versus that partner. And so there is precedent for not taking high bid. Just saying. And And my point is that Amazon's a different company than Google. And I think if they had the same scenario, perhaps even back then, that maybe they would have gone with Amazon at that time. I don't disagree with that. So, Walt, I think you should read this because you flagged this for us on Sunday afternoon. Well, this is just a tweet from Brian Steinberg talking about um, the the telecast of the NFL playoff game on Nickelodeon. CBS says Nick's Sunday NFL telecast was the network's most watched program among total viewers in nearly four years, generating an average of 2 million viewers, up 245% versus the comparable window a year earlier, obviously easy comps, you know, relative to what's on Nick, but whatever. But, but what's really important there is the 2 million average viewers. So this is not like a Netflix bullshit five second tune in or you watch it for a, you know, 30. This was across the entire game, the three hours, the average viewers was two minute, two million. That's a really big average viewership for Nickelodeon where, look, I don't believe a whole lot of people who are normal CBS viewers spent the entire game watching it on Nickelodeon. I think they added incremental viewers, which is a smart idea for the NFL. Even though the collective ratings were down. (laughs) Look, I'm not knocking the fact that ratings are a problem. what What we have said is that all these sports need to figure out a way to appeal to younger generations. And this is one way 
to kind of get that ball rolling. Well, in our past meetings also with the NFL, one of the things that really resonated with me is this, um, as opposed to EPL, which just went with Fox or NBC, was to say, like, we want it on several networks. Why? Because when they're calling the college football game, they're promoting the NFL games that are coming up. So now you have the, that promotion extending to another network of people and to Rich's point, helping to potentially expand the market. So maybe in this particular game, you know, you had down ratings on a combined basis versus the prior year, but you've got promotion across a different audience, which is the NFL has to love that. And it's, I think it's right. a brilliant way to run a business. Right. You think about it. You got Peppa Pig running on Nickelodeon. There's a headline or, you know, there's a teaser during that morning programming saying coming up later today on Nickelodeon is a football game. That's going to be really fun to watch. Like, Right. So if you That's have your kids, exactly so you're... for those of us that have kids, like you have your kids that have been disinterested in sports and it causes us to concern the future of sports. But all of a sudden at the dinner table or wherever, they're like, hey, dad, I saw, you know, yeah. this thing about the football. Maybe the kid wants to watch the game with you now more than he did before. And maybe you're building a, a viewer for the future. I mean, it's it's like it's a no it's a brainer. Good start for, it's a good start for sure. I think it is something also that CBS Viacom can show the NFL um, yep. Is Great being accretive to them as they negotiate this deal. And I think we're going to need to see more of this, but across non television. I, I don't think they pay platforms. any less for it. I don't no. think they get to pay of less, course. but of course not. <laughs> so, Rich, I have a very important question. What is yeah. Fox's owned version of Nickelodeon? Because we really could use an alternative audio to so, Joe Buck. So we, so, we could do like a 90 year old version on Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the NFL. We could do the nursing the home regular, version of, of the, the regular NFL. NFL broadcast is essentially the nursing yeah, home version. And no, that's like a little Al, mean. That's a little like mean. Al Michaels up there. Yeah, how old terrible. is How old is Al Michaels? I, mean, I like him. He's a good guy, but like uh, I mean, honestly, I still miss Joe but Madden. One one point. John John Madden. John Madden. <laughs> Jesus. What about Pat <laughs> Summerall? I love Pat Summerall's uh, voice. Was so amazing. Pat Summerall and John Madden were the two best ever. That was my favorite duo. What about I, I, Meryl Reese? <laughs> I want to say one thing, though. Um, Nickelodeon is on linear television. And you still That's need true. to find audiences that aren't always on linear television. Well, that's Amazon, platforms right? Platforms like Twitch, yep. um, Amazon, yep. or YouTube. Snap. I mean, Snap's never going to do broadcasts like that. But or who knows, actually, at this Apple. point. Okay, Roblox. Okay, let's shift gears. Let's go to SpaceX, Walt. So this was this was a tweet by Michael Sheets, um, who's kind of the new space guy, um, talking about how SpaceX um, got approval for ten of its Starlink satellites to effectively operate a lower elevation. So this really this is a nice win. It's not the end game. There was an, a new NPRM that was floated at the very last meeting, um, or last meeting of the FCC. It's going to be a battle between. Um, SpaceX, which is Elon's company, and Amazon, and also Dish for how they use some spectrum. Um, so that that'll be an interesting thing. It was in our one of our kind of things to look for in our top twenty one um, for twenty one. So for, so that's an interesting kind of new development, but also kind of underscores that okay, now we're we're here. Biden's going to get put in um, next week as president. We don't we still don't know who the chairman of the FCC is. It's possible. Is that surprising that, timing wise? I don't think so. But it's it's the next thing to look for is does Rosenworcel get or um, Commissioner Starks get appointed as permanent or even temporary? Temporary would mean they still haven't decided it could go either way or you could bring in an outsider. Um, permanent would uh, enable whoever gets um, 
gets announced as permanent, whether it's Rosenworcel or Starks, to start hiring people in these different bureaus and, and get about the way of the business. If it's if is it's, there a confirmation process if you just get appointed permanent? Like if an existing no. commissioner, it just happens. It's just like snap, you're permanent. You're permanent chairman. We're in charge now. You, you are, you know. Well, I don't want to say no. I'm I'm almost 95% sure that there's no confirmation for the chair. Once you're in, you're in. The confirmation right. is getting listed as so. If she, if um, Starks or commissioner is listed as interim, then the risk to companies is who is going to be put in as permanent. Could it be an outsider? I mean, Gigi Sohn is right. one that that kind of we know well, well. We saw what happened with Tom Wheeler, right? You had an outsider in Wheeler who was brought in under Obama, whereas so Pi still- was just elevated. So yeah, right. So companies out there are still dealing with the uncertainty of FEC. Also, this week um, or just yesterday, um, Macon Del Rahim uh, officially resigned. So there's obviously going to be a change at the DOJ. I mean, in, la- in prior lightshed lives that we had with him, I think we had a good understanding of kind of how um, the DOJ process process work. But you know, obviously, this is the start of a changeover. Which companies? It's kind of under the radar with all the other noise that's going out there. But these are important things that companies need to consider in terms of. M&A and other activity over the next four well, years. Especially we've got, you know, antitrust investigations into Google and Facebook. We've got big mergers like DirecTV Dish that we think can happen. Like there's a lot of broadband regulation. To- will, will will there be Title II and will Title II have um, rate regulation as, as a part of it? Um, you know, whether that's either through legislation or through the FCC, you know, these are risks that we're still waiting to get more details on. Uh, let's move to next slide. We've got Ubisoft, Brandon. Ubi. Uh, this one's from The Hollywood Reporter. Ubisoft is making an open-world Star Wars game in collaboration with Lucasfilm Games, the video game licensor of George Lucas. And what I found interesting about this isn't necessarily that there's going to be another Star Wars game and that it's not going to be EA who's making that open world game. And they have pretty much exclusively made all the PC and console versions of the Star Wars game. But it just reminds us that Disney kind of shunned getting into the video game business themselves and they want more Well, I exposure. wouldn't say they shunned. I'd I'd say they Well, they, they tried they over. tried a, they tried a couple of times and they yeah. weren't willing to stick with it and have the fortitude to either make an acquisition buying an EA or another big publisher. They, it just wasn't a priority for them. They kind of stuck to what they new doing deals like Fox ultimately, um, but that they didn't bring it in-house and that they're just a licensor of um, um, of their content to others. What is an open it. world game? What does that mean for it to open be open world, world game is sort of like instead of it being fully linear and you can only move within a path, you can wander around and go to um, different locations. So many of these games now um, are open world. Even like, I don't know, Jesse's playing the Mario game. I played it a little that came out on Switch a little while ago. Mario games used to be you were on a board and you kind of followed along the board. It was a now linear progression. Wander. It was a linear right. progress. Gotcha. Now you can wander anywhere and have different experiences. That's scary. Okay, so it's, I mean, that's what video games are when I was watching Mandalorian, you know, I would bring up a lot about, um, you know, how it's well suited to market games too. So yep. what is the best way for Disney to make money? Would it, would it have been to develop it on their own or like, what is the best strategy here for them? 
Look, it still amazes me that Disney hasn't bought a major game publisher and really well, tried to yeah. do this, right? Like they bought Fox, which, okay, they got Avatar. Great. I mean, like who the hell cares? Like, uh, you know, in the scheme of like the Walt Disney company, I there think- will never be another Avatar, Rich. Yeah, there will How be. many years ago did I did I say that was going to be the biggest uh, yes, that's been of one of your time. things that you repeated several <laughs> times. That is true. Not on this podcast. No, it's, you know. You just hate Avatar. I've heard you I, say I hate Avatar. I hated that movie. No, but it's right, just sort it. of incredible. It's incredible to me that they don't own, you know, a major game publisher and really look at this as the future of entertainment. I mean, it seems like an know, obvious we, vertical synergy for them to have, given the content that they're pushing out on Disney Plus right now. I just I don't. It's, it's mind blowing. It literally is mind blowing that they're in letting these other companies build. And they're not like, it's okay, so just, let's say we know crazy. they're, well, let's assume that they're listening to the podcast. They're, Rich. they're who would still you making have money off of it. Actually, Brandon, who but, would you have them buy? Who should Disney buy? I mean, what I had previously said was EA was a good fit for two reasons. One is they make the sports games and have relationships with the leagues, which Disney has with ESPN. Yep. And also they already do the star Wars or did pretty much did all the star wars games not on mobile but um and so that was a good fit and a company that's used to working with other companies ip as opposed to building their own so they had the all the disney ip and they could just work with it i i thought that was a good acquisition a long time ago so rich how would disney investors react if they announced that tomorrow at a 30 percent premium to the market I think they would be very nervous because they'd go, Disney has screwed up gaming every single time they've gone into it. It would be super I, I, fucking accretive. I'll tell you that. I mean, okay, so it it's accretive be... and I don't know. They seem like they're getting a free pass. Everyone's pretty happy about D plus. So like, why shouldn't this happen? I think if they could build a narrative where they mm. could show that, Hey, we've got this huge world. We just laid out the, the multi-year arc yeah, for Marvel. Leveraging that? It's a no brainer. How could we leverage all of this into the place where people are spending even more time than streaming video? They're playing games. I, I look, it should happen. It should. There's no reason for it not to happen other than fear of gaming and just going, and you know what? Not we just gaming, it's sort of interactive, interact- interactive media in general and the yep. different experiences that are going to be interactive on digital that they can create with their IP. I will provide this non sequitur <clears throat> criticism is that the interactivity on the D plus app is really not good. Cause I, I try and do the sync share Absolutely. watch with, with friends yeah. on Mando and it's just, it's very limited. So you guys, do that. Get, yeah, I do. Really? He's a nerd. I, well, we like to text each other and like, can you believe, you You're know, so baby Yoda just did that. I can't believe he ate that egg. So we got a, You're we got a story. <laughs> You're really becoming like a full on star Wars nerd. He really is. But let's move on. New York Times uh, story this morning. New story this morning from the New York Times. Snapchat wants you to post. They're willing to pay millions. So we knew about this. It was called Snapchat Spotlight. They rolled it out. It was sort of like a, I'd say, you know, a wannabe TikTok feed, a wannabe reels from Facebook. And it was sort of people made fun of it and said, oh, the content's not very good. And this is not a big deal. But we've been hearing more and more that creators are actually embracing it. You're seeing more and more content. And that a lot of the criticism was, day one versus where we are now. And here's a story from Taylor Lorenz this morning saying, as of Tuesday, the top earner on Snapchat Spotlight is a 19-year-old kid who was paid nearly $3 million for the content he created um, earlier this year or last month, I think it was. And so 
what I'm thinking about is forget about this 19 year old kid. Forget about the three million. I'm looking at it going. This is just going to encourage even more creators to want to be on the platform. If you know you can make real money and yeah. by content going viral, you're going to naturally gravitate and want to. And this is a platform, Snapchat, where no creator wanted to be there two years ago. I mean, I remember what the Kylie tweet, right? Like by Snapchat, like people were like literally like making fun of this as like not creator friendly. And all of a sudden it's like the place that creators are, are flocking to. And two it's just words, really interesting. Rich, two words. Money talks. Yeah. That yeah. that's it. And we've we've talked ad nauseum over the years about the difficulty in making money directly um, as a creator on all these platforms, which gave rise to ways companies that help uh, make money off platform, right? Yep. And um, and Snap's like, fuck it, we'll <laughs> we'll help you make money on platform. We're willing to to seed it. It's a great way to get the flywheel started. I know you love that word. Flywheel. No, I know. So I mean, it's it's kind of similar to um, what Roblox is doing, right? Because Explain. well, one of, one of the ways you can monetize on Roblox is just to is through straight engagement, not necessarily um, what you're taking a piece of what you're selling uh, within your game. Uh, Roblox rewards those games who just have straight engagement because it's healthy for their platform. And this is kind of a, a page out of their book, I think, that, that right. Snap has taken. And let me tell you, if people, creators see they can make money on Snap, <laughs> they're going to flock to Snap, period, end of story. Which is great for engagement and ultimately great for monetization. of You get more people on the platform, more users, more time spent. Great for ad sales. Great for the 2021 Snapchat story, which, uh, you know, um, good we talked about it in our top 21 for 21. Just a lot of levers at Snap right now, whether it's local sort of unmonetized. Um, I know you're pieces. excited about Bitmoji. Um, yeah, Bit, Bitmoji, which I think could, you know, the, the 3D Bitmoji has um, an important future, I think. Lots of lots of under the radar ways to monetize there. So we can't go a podcast without talking about my new favorite oh, topic, God's which sake. is Fubo TV, which I said properly. So here's a tweet. Fubo TV, and this is related to news this week. Fubo TV is betting on sports gambling as the key to drawing more customers. The skinny bundle provider will acquire Sportsbook Victory. Now, two things to note. One, um, the, the deal was so small from a dollar standpoint, it's obviously immaterial because there is no filing of like how much money they spent. There's no disclosure around it. It literally is not. So I don't know what tiny amount of stock or cash was given. FUBA doesn't really have much cash on hand. So I presume it was a small amount of stock that was handed out. But the amazing thing is, is that the stock went up by a billion and a half dollars the day they bought this startup with, you know, call it 11 employees and no sports book in operation and only one license in kind of Iowa. So to me, this is just mind blowing that you took a business that was already difficult, which is the VMVPD business with negative gross margins. And you probably went out and found the only business that is even tougher to be a small scale player, which is being a sports book. And the best example of it is the other tweet we have on the screen, the company up in Canada called The Score, which is a public company. They launched a off of their kind of sports information app. They launched a sports book. And here's the tweet from Brad Allen. It says, 
two consecutive quarters of negative GGR and five consecutive quarters with negative NGR for the score. But people still think Fubo will launch betting and become billionaires. And GGR, gross gaming revenue, means that the, uh, with net gaming revenue, the, the challenge that they have right here is that they are losing money on their sports book. People are they're paying out more than people are betting. That's incredible, Brandon. Yeah, and what can you say? It, like we met with this company, Victory, over the summer. Uh, they like Fubo. They were a company that couldn't raise money, yet somehow found a way to create a lot of value in the public market somehow. And um, I, this goes back to what our intro was yeah. uh, with. Yeah, certain names not being retail uh, euphoria retail yeah. euphoria that's it that's it that's simple but i mean sports but the sports betting business takes billions of dollars to get any meaningful market share and you're trying to compete against two goliaths in fan duel and DraftKings. you know more than that GM, i mean you're also, also the way, some of the land-based casinos and the, even with partnerships like mgm has I mean, that's those those tough businesses to compete with. I we always say, though, it's okay to potentially be small if you're sort of a very focused player. You're focused on one thing. You can do it better than some of the companies that are doing lots of different things. Fubo though is doing this almost as a side project, as an addition to what they're doing. So they actually have it the worst of all possible worlds. It's not their number one focus and their subscale and they're undercapitalized. Well, what were you going to say? We've done a lot of calls with companies in this space and Lightshed Lives um, and, uh, and Access. It seems to me that all of these companies have very high customer acquisition costs. Yeah. And for a market that it seems like it's hard to differentiate unless maybe you're pen gaming because they can integrate um, the content that Barstool provides. Like I don't, it's not clear other than paying through customer acquisition or you know not making money on the bets. Like how you do build the base. So this is you know typically early phase of, of an industry that probably needs to consolidate and yeah, rationalize. Hundred percent. You just well, 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 that's it'll a, shake that's out. Great. It'll be an oligopoly at some point because what's happening now isn't isn't sustainable and there will be three or four major players DraftKings FanDuel I don't know BetMGM maybe Barstool and and that'll be it but Fubo but the problem uh, Fubo, is Fubo is not going to change things no, for Fubo, them. I mean no. Portnoy can change things for Penn Gaming Fubo ain't going to change things for this company but but the but Walt just to your point cuz I think it's really important DraftKings on marketing alone last quarter spent $200 million just in the quarter to acquire customers. Fubo only ha doesn't even have $200 million of cash on their balance right. sheet. So like well, they can do an equity raise now. They better do it soon as the stock's dropping. So, <laughs> so you need like a little funny tweet, Rich, like showing up to, at a, to a gunfight or a knife fight, you know, with like a feather. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's actually great. I love a it. A wet feather at that. All right. What's, what's next? Okay. So we got next is like there was all this. I mean, we've been talking about in this podcast, the shitstorm that got created in Hollywood, all the talent agents, all the studio, all the talent manager, you know, all the producers, et cetera, all upset about what Warner Brothers did and what HBO Max going direct. And here we've got Lucas Shaw scoop. This is from Bloomberg. 
to placate partners uneasy with its HBO Max maneuver, Warner Brothers is doing something no major studio has done. Guarantee profits up front, meaning paying people off, which is exactly what we said they were going to do is they'd figure out the math. They'd make everybody happy and everything would move on just like we expected. Like, yes, we knew it was going to be painful. They didn't do it beforehand because it would have involved getting everybody on board from so many films would have been impossible up front. But they're doing it after the fact and they're doing it relatively quickly. And it's amazing sort of how all of the noise around this has died down within four weeks, literally four weeks. And it's basically over. Yeah, I mean, it's, we have we've seen this type of stuff before in, in different ways. Right? I remember the delete Facebook from X number oh, of years man. ago and Walt Moss. Oh, we got that. Hold like, on. That's amazing. He couldn't just Wait, he we, couldn't just delete Facebook. He had to write a whole medium post about how he was deleting Facebook. I, so. I, have, I have two words for the last slide. Money talks. <laughs> Money talk. We need. We needed. We so we needed better music coming going out of the podcast. I know. I'm gonna. Have, can you Google you, you that? You guys, you guys uh, talk about this one. I'll find yeah. some. Uh, okay. So and, and Alex Webb again. This is another part of the tweet storm. He points this out in, in effect, saying the um, the first quit Facebook day was in 2010. Since then, Facebook has increased sales a hundredfold and added 1.8 billion. Is that pr- true? A 1.8 yeah. billion users since 2010. Yes, it is true. After it literally Facebook. is true. So maybe the best thing that can happen to a company is is you have some outraged people on Twitter tweeting how they're going to quit something. Uh, I don't know. It just it just sort of just shows you how people overreact time and time again. Sit back, which is what our job is, right? To sit back and really analyze and think about what is actually happening, not to get caught up in the hysteria, whether it's the Fubo, get everyone getting excited for 24 hours for sports betting, or whether it's everyone freaking that they're, I mean, p- people were calling us saying, when is Jason Kylar getting fired? I mean, that was literally the calls we were getting from industry people saying, how many days does he have left? And here he is getting deal after deal done with director after director and producer after producer. They're dealing with legendary and all their partners and like, there's just this natural tendency of like knee jerk. People worry about change. They worry about technology change. They over panic or they over freak out. And then everything is fine. And the world moves on. Right, and I keep thinking of that about that antenna slide that we had in a prior podcast about showing um, how this Wonder Woman uh, movie, which none of us thought was really that good, um, led to massive amounts of silence. I understand that it was, you know, added to a couple different platforms at the same time, but basically added a similar number of subs that um, Hamilton did to Disney Plus. And, and Hamilton, right. let's everyone knows, was a much better product than Wonder Woman '84. Um, but they added the same number of subs. Whatever. Okay, Haters let's talk hate. about something that's also a little crazy. We've got Netflix, and this is just this is the top five. Um, Overall, Netflix US today, Night Stalker is irrelevant. I don't want to talk about that, which is number one. Bridgerton, which is the Shonda Rhimes, which is what has sort of taken the the, the globe by storm. It's Shonda Rhimes' first um, show for Netflix. It's done amazing for them um, right out of the gates. But I don't even want to talk about that. What I really want to talk about is number three, Lupin. I'm probably saying it wrong. Lupin, Lupin. I don't know how you actually say it. But it's a French show, meaning French talent created in France for Netflix France, and it's the number three show in the U.S. I don't know whether people are watching it dubbed or with subtitles, but it's sort of just shocking that Lupin is number three in the U.S. as a French original series that, look, I didn't, I've never even heard of this show. It wasn't on my radar screen. I've never heard anyone like say, hey, this is going to be a big global show. And here it is. And I think to me, it just sort of shows the power of Netflix to bring on international content and how the platform creates winners and is able to basically surface 
content um, on the platform. And, and another example, obviously, the, the two shows after it, Cobra Kai was sort of the show on YouTube that has become a huge sensation on Netflix. So it shows you how something that was good on YouTube becomes massive on Netflix. And then number five, funny enough, is a show that we we always laugh. Like, why was Charter Spectrum creating original programming? It was the dumbest strategy. This is a Sony show that they sold to Charter. Great for Sony. No one ever saw it on Charter Spectrum. Now they sold it to Netflix. And all of a sudden, it's a top five show on Netflix called L.A.'s Finest. Again, just time and again, showing the power of Netflix to make hits. You want to know what's crazy, Rich? It, 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 Netflix continues to run away with this market. There's so much excitement elsewhere. I took a, a look back at the Netflix chart. And, and this is completely the stock chart, right? The stock chart. I think it was, it was in mid 2018 at its like it at its peak then in June of 2018. Since then, I think it was at like 418. The stock is only up 20%, has actually underperformed the market despite the fact that Netflix has shown real escape velocity. And I think that's probably due to fear of competition, right? We've got rising competition. I I think. I mean, they've shown pricing power, right? But they're putting up numbers, right? I mean, whether whether it's subscriber numbers, right? And record gross ads. And I know there was a little bit of pandemic effect this year or showing that pricing is going to have price increases are going to have limited impact on subscriber numbers. And they're not close to the sweet spot, probably of the elasticity curve. I mean, look, the fear of competition, it's interesting. The fear of competition, clearly people shit on AT&T all the time. It's overboard, the shitting on T for, for HBO max and everything there. Um, it's kind of silly actually to a point. Um, so it's not them, it's Disney plus, right? right? So then, you know, everyone knows that listen to this podcast. I'm a huge fan of the Disney plus content. There's zero chance that I would disconnect Netflix. Not that I'm like, this is ivory tower. Like obviously my experience is not like everyone else's, but like to the extent that MVPD customers continue to cut the cord and transition, like there doesn't have to be just one or even two, or maybe even just three winners. And like, I don't know how Netflix is not the fundamental um, core of anyone's home content. So the competition thing, you're probably right. That's probably a driver of what's held back the stock, but it just, it seems, it seems odd. Just say, well, it's just interesting. That's, I mean, it's interesting. It was, it's a great thing to, you know, to point well, out. I mean, maybe it's going to have a huge run in 21. Well, just to your point, both of you. So my background is a show called blown away, which my wife and daughters have been watching over the last couple of weeks uh, they love it, and they're they're just they're literally obsessed with it. It's a glass so for our podcast. Yeah, for our podcast listeners, this is not the wasn't there like a a movie blown away where that was like the it was like a fireman movie where the guy was like getting. Uh, I don't know. This is glass blowing, like it's a reality yeah. glass blowing show, like Kitchen Nightmares or whatever night whatever that show it's is. A, it's a hippie show. I guess I don't know, <laughs> but but then at that the same look, time, that dude does look like he's in he's Brooklyn. He's got the Brooklyn cut going yeah. for sure. Wait, but, but but then it gets like better. Hippies then, and glass blowing. But then my sister this morning texts me and goes, any, any idea if and when Netflix is going to release Pup Academy season three, the girls are busting for it. And I'm just thinking like <laughs> everywhere you look, everywhere you look, people are obsessed. I don't, I don't even know content. what that is. <laughs> I don't know either. I have no idea. Dogs. It's dogs. It's good content for kids. Uh, again, the point is everyone is watching 
hours of Netflix a day on average throughout 200 million households around the world. You're right, Brandon. It's sort of crazy that as the industry leader, you've seen Roku stock go up three and a half X in the last 12 months. Netflix has certainly had a good you yeah, know, I mean, look, run off the bottom. It, it, right. Look, Netflix has a lot of cap and, and it kind of went into this from sure. with a lot of cap. But if you look at the other fangs, especially, it's it's underperformed all of them. So let's do our last tweet, which is Walt. You want to tee this uh, this amazing picture? Well, let me just you got to describe it. Well, no, let me put a little context first, Rich. On the last T-Mobile earnings call of John Ledger, Ledger's career, I asked him at the end of the call, "So what's next?" And at that point, he said, "Well, he thinks he's going to he's going to come work at Lightshed." He might have actually called us Leapshed, or he probably <laughs> purposely mispronounced. I think Lampshade is what he called <laughs> us. I think you're right. I'm going to come work at Lampshade. Um, they left the board early anyway. So, uh, John tweeted out this week that he's considering becoming or running for office, didn't specify mayor, president, whatever it is, but but running for office. So, that got people, I think, pretty stirred up. Um, whether it's true or not, like it's amazing that a guy who really turned around a company, um, you know, is probably looking for the right thing. I mean, to me, you know, Uber continues to, to, to be. I think an attractive spot for him. Like Dara has done a great job at exiting assets. I think he probably overcut things because autonomy should have been a bigger part of, of Uber's future. I think Dara may have sold a decent amount of stock this year. Maybe he's kind of managed through a lot of tough times and cutting Uber back on track during a tough, a tough, um, you know, a tough pandemic. Um, so you, people would think like, why would you get rid of the guy then? But And changing the culture, which had, you know, yeah, changing the cup, but sometimes you some may problems under Travis. Yeah, but sometimes you need to be, you know, Move have on. a maverick yeah. type of culture as well. So maybe um, getting a little bit of that back in the culture and having someone like Ledger run run the show would would be interesting. But we'll see. I mean, running for office, he will resurface somewhere at some point, and we cannot wait. If he was president, though, just uh, would the flag have to go from red to pink, I think, is the main Of course question. not. He respects the flag, Rich. There will be no difference in the, the type of flag that is there. But Doug look, alone uh, just he, let us know, by the way, that he called us light year, like Buzz Lightyear, to take it that's back right, to Disney Buzz Pixar. Lightyear. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to um, interrupt. But look, he could run for mayor, too. I mean, New York City definitely needs You think better, he'd be uh, a better choice than Andrew Yang? Um, or yes, Scott Stringer, one hundred percent. But he would definitely. It's such an easy comp right now. Yeah, so. right. Anybody. We we just need you know almost like living, breathing alternative human would be better than. What Although we have last right night now. there was a pretty good fight on uh, on uh, Clubhouse over San Francisco. Over there. Oh I'm, my God, that was nuts! <laughs> and once again, I stayed up to listen to Sri Ram's nightly. And what time do you? What, what time does Sri Ram start? In on the East Coast, one a.m. Yeah. If anyone needs a clubhouse invite, <laughs> you're in looking our, at me like I don't sleep that much. Though, if Rich. anyone wants to be on Clubhouse, <laughs> um, hit me up. I got like 19 invites I can give out, so I'd be happy to to. In, in, yeah, I noticed that all of a sudden I have like all these invites to to give yeah, out. So hit us up and we can get you on on Clubhouse and have a uh, great week. Brandon, did you find this, a good is, song? Yeah, I did. I, I did. I very quickly. Did you send it to Rich or are you gonna play it on your No, screen? I'll just I'll just play it. People won't right. be able to hear it, but here we go. You have to turn it up a lot. Can you hear it? 
maybe Rich can edit in the full audio of this. Must be the money! Uh, that's episode 39, everyone. Have a great that was weekend. That was the theme, though, today, right? Yes. It was. Must it be was. The money. Turn it off. I thought you were going to play yeah. us out. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye.